Today is, today's parable is a very simple parable, but it leaves us with a lot to think about. So let me start by reading it, Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him. And saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let's start with the big picture for this parable. This parable follows a pretty easy pattern to let us know what's going on. It's called um, the weaker to stronger or from light to heavy. And, and it, it's a, the signal for this kind of parable, this kind of Jewish teaching is the phrase, how much more? So what it does is it gives a bad example and says, but, but in, in, in a good situation, how much more will it be? So the overall meaning Luke tells us and is not that hard to discern. We have a bad judge who responds to the needs of a woman who bothers him into getting her way. How much more will our loving God respond when we will cry out. So the clear comparison is between God and the judge. We've got a bad judge, but we've got a good God. Luke sees the point of the parable as an encouragement to pray and not lose heart. But what does it mean to pray and not lose heart? Well, well prayer, we, we tend to make prayer something that a pastor does or that we do at grace. But in the Jewish thinking, prayer was communicating with God. Sometimes that was very formal prayer, several times a day stopping to pray the Psalms, Sometimes just speaking in different scriptures. Sometimes it was participating in, uh, in Jewish practices and in festivals and that kind of thing. And so prayer was a kind of a catch-all word in Jewish thinking for your relationship with God. Okay, So this is not just saying prayers. It is how you're doing with your faith generally. And of course, praying specifically then, uh, sometimes with the Psalms and, and sometimes also just talking to God. Pray and not lose heart. Literally, the word just means from heart, like to lose your heart. I, th- I wonder if in the ancient world, uh, have you ever had, the, when you have anxiety, your heart starts racing? Or you ever seen, you know, if you, if you have real stress, your heart stops. So this image of losing your heart is about being discouraged, about losing yourself, about uh, being anxious, not losing heart. And so Luke says, this parable is about making sure you pray and don't lose heart. And then at the end of the passage, he also gives Jesus giving some teaching about this story. And Jesus is talking about the value of God responding to his elect, that he will not delay. That when the Son of Man comes, he wants to find faith on the earth. And therefore, in this parable, faith is defined by one of the core characteristics of what it means to have faith is that you pray and that you don't lose heart. 
You don't give up. So that's the big picture. Let's swoop in for a little closer look at this passage. In a certain city, that's, that's a way of saying that this is a hypothetical story, not to take this literally. It's just a certain city. There was a, there was a city. It's, a, it's kind of a once upon a time intro, right? Let us know this is just a story. There was a judge. Now, now uh, there, we don't know what kind of judge this was. There were many different kinds of judges in the ancient, ancient world that would judge cases. Some were just sort of local judges, some on behalf of your local government. So you might just have, you know, a judge uh, in Capernaum that kind of sees local cases, but you might have a regional judge in the area of Galilee, but you also might have Roman judges. We just don't know. We're not given the details about what level of court this is. But we do know that this judge doesn't fear God or respect man. This should be a warning sign to us because what are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gives us a little earlier in Luke? We should love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And now we have a man who even in the parable by his own confession says, I don't, I don't care about God, I don't care about people. This sounds like a terrible judge, doesn't he? Like, if you don't care about God, like you don't care about people, you, you want to totally disobey the law, what are you judging against? Okay, what kind of person is this? Is a terrible judge. He's either in it for the money or in the community standing, but he doesn't care about people. Now, there's also a widow who keeps coming to him for justice. Now, now we live in, a, in an age where we, we have widows. We have widows in our church. But, but in those days, being a widow was an almost impossible thing. Women could not own property. That left them pretty powerless to manage the property. You only were saved if you had a son that was potentially old enough to run the property for you. And if you didn't have any sons, then you were really in trouble. Now, there were ways to deal with this, and, and typically what would happen is you would marry one of your uh, husband's brothers, and he would hopefully be able to help you bear a child, a son, for the property. Now, everybody can see some of the conflicts in this, right? First of all, uh, ladies out there, how do you feel about your brother-in-law, right? It's not necessarily like the, this is not the brother I wanted to marry, Right? And how would your, your sister-in-law feel about you having to marry your brother-in-law? Right? You can see the crisis that could build up in this kind of situation. And on top of that, um, uh, the, the, for the man to marry you, to, to redeem you is the word, um, that he'd definitely have to potentially buy part of your property. He'd have to pay off your husband's debts. And so a lot of times the men wouldn't want to do it leaving women totally vulnerable. And here's the, here's the kicker. Women were not allowed. They, they can't speak for a property that they don't own. And they're not allowed to even speak in court. Their testimony is not welcome in court. It's not a, So if, if no man will stand up for a woman, a widow, that means there's nobody to stand up for the widow because a widow can't stand up for herself. This is why in the Bible, a lot of times widows are listed as some of the most vulnerable people along with orphans because there's nobody to take care of them. If there's nobody to take care of them, then they are in serious trouble in this society. So she's trying to go to a judge because either uh, her brother, we don't know the backstory, but, but potentially her, her brother-in-law won't marry her or somebody's coming after her trying to take her property because she can't own the property, Right. And she, so she's trying to get a judge to give her justice, but what's the problem? She, the judge can't hear her case. 
because uh, she can't speak in court. And even if she, even if he let her speak in court, uh, it would never hold up. The, like the person who her, her adversary, she describes whoever that person is, they're going to get really mad at her, really mad at the judge for even hearing her case. You know what's going to happen to this judge? The next week, a whole line of widows are going to be at his door every day trying to hear their, get their cases heard. Okay, this is a potential moment of social upheaval. But what the widow can do is just keep bothering him. Just keep showing up. Keep leaving emails. Keep leaving voicemails. Stop by every day. Right? The Greek word here is that he keeps wearing her. He says she's bothering him. But the Greek word he also uses is she's beating me down. Um, or some texts say, some versions say wearing him out. It's a great metaphor because it's a boxing term. It's related to the eye. It really means to give a black eye or to hit underneath the eye. Okay? So she's like accosting him. Like, like, I, like I don't know if she's actually beating him. That's not really, like I think it's a metaphor. But what he's saying is, I feel like she's giving me a black eye all the time. I got to get this lady off my back. So it gives her the justice she is calling for. Not because she, he cares about God uh, and what God might think. Not because he cares about the lady. Just because he wants her off his back. But God is even better than that. By comparison, God, would, God is loving. He's not, he's not judgmental. He would do anything for his elect. Those, the, the word elect means those ones he calls and picks for his design purpose, divine purposes. He won't say, delay. He will give justice speedily. So you can see the comparison. You see the meaning of the parable. What does the parable mean to us today, though? That gets very interesting. There's sort of two lines of thinking you have to approach with this parable. And I think they relate to the two characters, the judge and the widow. The question that that I think must be asked is, what, what kind of God do you think you serve? What is your view of God? Is God a cruel judge? Does he care? Is he, is he distant? Is he too busy? Does he even hear our cries? Well, the text seems to apply, and I think the scripture seems to apply, that we should think of God as powerful, loving, and indeed close, wanting to come to us, to our aid. But there's a tension here, isn't there? If God cares, and God can, then why doesn't he? Why does he sometimes tell us No. He could be able, but not aware. Maybe God's powerful, but he doesn't know what's going on. Or maybe God is aware, but he's not powerful. Or maybe he's just a bad judge. See, this is a, this is a humorous story, but it's a painful reality when it's tested, when we go through heartaches, and God doesn't answer the way we want him to answer or in the time that we want him to answer it in. Is he good? Is he loving? The passage says that God will give them justice speedily. How many of you think God gives you speedily answers to your prayers? I must be a little lower in the queue than you are because I feel like sometimes God is a little late to me. But at this point, we're not talking about God anymore. So we're not talking about the judge. And we're now talking about ourselves. In our view, we've switched from the judge to the widow. And how do we view God? Do we have a hope that maintains in the struggles? Can we keep praying See, how you view God, that that could really influence 
how you relate to God in moments when you're crying out. And there's a tension here too. Because what if God does say no? Does my hope fail? Do I lose heart like a stack of cards when the rug gets pulled? Sometimes then it's easier not to pray. This is what I find with Christians. Sometimes it's easier for them not to pray and not risk being disappointed. And then we can even wrap that in good language, saying, well, God knows anyway, so I don't need to. Well, no, a lot of times we're protecting ourselves from being disappointed by God. But but praying is also not about just briefing God on the situation and giving God clear expectations for what I want him to do and when I want him to do it. Prayer is about relationship. Part of the value of prayer is unburdening ourselves from the heavy weight so we can breathe again. And so we need to be able to pray to God, but but so often when we struggle, prayer is one of the first things to go. Now, I don't think the purpose of this parable is that you have to pray the right things or the right amount. I've heard this from Christians too. If only I had prayed harder. If only I had prayed more. That sounds like we're praying to a God who's the unrighteous judge. That you need to nag. That's not the point. The point is not that you need to nag God to an answer. Jesus is telling the story to give you a very different view of God, a loving God who wants to answer, who is even speeding, rushing over to answer you. Now, all that is very encouraging. But if I'm honest today, I have trouble believing that it's true. Just a little bit, a little bit in my heart, in the back of my head. I have some questions. It's been interesting for me to write this sermon of on this week of all weeks. I don't, I don't always share, I try not to overshare too much personally from the pulpit here because I, uh, I, I don't want to try to look like I'm scoring extra sympathy. And uh, I also don't want the pulpit to be like my own therapy couch where I'm working out my stuff on your, you guys. You know what I'm saying? But I got to say that this week, this sermon has been incredibly personal for me. And I, I want to just share that with you. Um, as some of you probably know, my wife Mandy went into the hospital late on Tuesday night. Um, she had uh, asthma. She's had asthma, but it, um, uh, it, it was always been exercise induced. She uses an inhaler, I don't know, four or five times a year. Like that's it. But she could, she could barely breathe on uh on tuesday night and she is still in the hospital looks like she's going to be able to come home tomorrow or or kind of turn the corner but she's had a bunch of steroids and uh, a bunch of breathing treatments and we're finally kind of getting there but it was it was a little scary for her to to watch my wife not be able to breathe and they they had some times where they um did they had the first breathing treatments that they did that messed with her heart and made her heart race and so her heartbeats went up to about, I think the first time, like 140 beats a minute. And like it, it made her sick, you know, and she, she just felt like she was ter- terrible. She was, she was scared. This has not been an easy week to take care of kids and run back and forth. I, um, my, uh, been praying for my dad. Uh, my dad did get a, a procedure done to try to open up more blood to his foot was somewhat successful, but they are going to have to remove the front part of his foot this week. And, um, and they're, they're praying that that works because if they don't, they're going to have to take uh, his leg just below the knee. And so that's been scary for him and hard for my mom. And um, 
also my grandfather has been dealing with uh, a melanoma and some different cancers that crop up every few years and um, he's then got to get treatments and then he looks okay for a while and then it comes back well he had some cancer in the last month that is not looking good and the treatments are no longer working so they're going to have to remove this cancer next week and, and um, you know but the big question is what do we do now that the medicine doesn't work it has been a hard week. And again, I'm not trying to score sympathy. It was just so weird to me to think about this passage and to consider this sermon in the middle of that. I literally did some of the research on this passage in the emergency room. Uh, my wife was in the emergency room. She got admitted to the hospital. There were no beds because, um, sad to say, there are a lot of COVID cases right now in the hospital. Um, and so she was just in the ER for the first 24 hours. And um, so I sat with her. She couldn't really talk because she couldn't really breathe. And so I was reading, and I was reading about this passage. And I wrote this sermon and thought about this sermon between phone calls about my dad's upcoming amputation and my grandfather and taking care of the kids. I didn't lose heart this week. In fact, when, when crisis comes, I'm the guy that gets more work done. Okay, I'm like, I go into to survival mode. I go into business mode. Like, what do I have to do? I make a to-do list. I try to get control of whatever I can because some of the stuff feels so out of control. But, but I, I've been thinking a lot about this passage as I've gone through this. And uh, one of the things I found, I found it hard to pray. I did find it hard to pray. Maybe I was too busy to pray. That's what I felt like. But, but really, I, I, I think... Maybe I was leaning on myself a lot and not always leaning on God. And so I tried to take some more time uh, to pray. I, I'm not a person that, that prays big, long prayers or has real, real disciplined prayer life. I think prayer is like, uh, like water, like every animal and every plant needs it. But uh, a camel needs less of it and a fish has to have a ton of it, right? There's like... You, everybody needs it, but you you got to find a prayer life that works for you. And mine's a lot more of an all-the-time kind of prayer rather than a sit-down prayer. But but even that was hard for me this week. Um, and, and, and I think it, it pointed that I was relying on myself as a source of hope more than I should be trusting in Jesus. In fact, I think there's a truth here that, that's worth digging for a little bit in what Jesus has said. And, and I got this metaphor, of course, sitting in a hospital room. Um, I watched all week as, my, as the nurses came in and took the vital signs for my wife. You know, they wanted to know, what's your temperature? What's your blood oxygen level? What's your blood pressure? What's your pulse? All these little vital signs, these indicators as to my wife's health. What are, what are your spiritual vital signs? How do you know how you're doing spiritually? How do you know how your faith is doing? How do you know how your hope is doing? Well, one of the things I think you can analyze is your prayer. What's your prayer life like? That says a lot about how you're doing in your faith and your hope. And again, it does, doesn't mean that there's a, there's a way that it has to be done, but, but what does it tell you if you can no longer pray? If you don't even worry about praying? Or if you worry about praying and praying the prayers right, and am I praying enough? You know, look at your prayer life. It's a great way to take your spiritual pulse. Let me also just comment on timing. Jesus says that God will give his elect justice speedily. Based on whose clock? That's what I want to know, right? Like, he never seems to be speedily on my clock. My stopwatch is different than God's. 
I wanted my wife home on Thursday. I would have taken Friday fine. Right now we're pushing to Monday. I wanted my dad's foot situation resolved by now. I wanted my grandfather's cancer to be done with years ago. By the way, the Bible seems to say this too. There are several Psalms that contain the word, how long, O Lord? That's been, that's been my phrase all week. How long, O Lord? Okay. Um, Isaiah has this beautiful phrase, a beautiful verse that says, those that wait on the Lord, you know this one? They will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Look, I've been waiting on God all week and I have not renewed my strength. <laughs> right? Like, run and not grow weary. I'm, I'm stumbling. And I know a lot of people stumbling. This is one of the hardest parts about trusting God is trusting Him with the timing. Like I can trust God, but I would like God to do things, and I believe God's going to do things, but I would like Him to do it on my schedule. Please, Lord, what is going on? I will send you a calendar Eve invite. We will get this thing worked out. Please do it on my time. But I have said this before, and I will, I will say it again. You're not really trusting God until you trust God with the timing. You're not really trusting God until you trust God with the timing. How do you know that you're trusting God with the timing? Well... Well, you look at your prayer life. That's one way. But of course, this brings us back to the bigger point of the parable. The part that I have been sitting with all week. The part where I have been really finding some hope in a challenging week. Which is, what kind of God do I serve? I believe I serve a loving God who is with me. I believe that I can look at Jesus Christ on the cross and say, this is how much God loves me. God is willing to suffer for me rather than see me suffer. That's the kind of God that you can trust in when you're going through challenging times. I keep going back to the goodness of God. And it seems to me like the only way to end this sermon is with prayer. 